This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Nelson. The Cosmic Computer by H. Beam Piper. Chapter 15 The Harriet Barnes settled comfortably at the dock the bunting-swathed tugs lifting away from her. They had the outside sound pickups turned as low as possible, and still the noise was deafening. The spaceport was jammed, people on the ground and contragravity vehicles swarming above, with police cars vainly trying to keep them in order. All the bands in Storcenda seemed to have been combined. They were blaring the planetary hymn. Genji Gartner's body lies a-mouldering in the tomb, but his soul goes marching on. When they opened the airlock, there was a hastily improvised ceremonial barge, actually a farm scow completely draped in red and white, the planetary colors. They all stopped, briefly, as they came out, to enjoy the novelty of outdoor air, which could actually be breathed. Khan saw his father in the scow and beside him Sylvie Jackmont, trying, almost successfully, to keep from jumping up and down in excitement. Morgan Gatworth to meet his son, and Lester Dawes to meet his. Kurt Fawzi, Dolph Kelton, and Colonel Zareff, Tom Brangwen. He didn't see his mother or his sister. Flora he had hardly counted on, but he was disappointed that his mother wasn't there to meet him. Sylvie was embracing her father as he shook hands with his. Then she threw her arms around his neck. "'Oh, Con, I'm so happy. I was watching everything I could on screen, everything you saw and all the places you were, and everything you were doing. The scow—pardon, ceremonial barge—gave a slight lurch, throwing them together. Over her shoulder he saw his father and Eve's Jackmont exchanging grins. Then they had to break it up while he shook hands with Fozzie and Judge Ledoux and the others, and by the time that was over, the barge was letting down in front of the stand at the end of the dock, and the band was still deafening heaven with Genji Gartner's body, and they all started up the stairs to be greeted by Planetary President Vykoven. He looked like an elderly bear who had been too well fed for too long in a zoo, and by Minister General Murchison who represented the Terran Federation on Poitem. He was thin and balding, and he looked as though he had just mistaken the vinegar cruet for the wine decanter. Genji Gartner's soul stopped marching on, but the speeches started, and that was worse. And after the speeches there was the parade, everybody riding in transparent-bodied aircars, and the Lester Dawes and the two ships of the new planetary air navy, and a swarm of gunboats in column five hundred feet above, all firing salutes. In spite of what wasn't, but might just as well have been, a concerted conspiracy to keep them apart, he managed to get a few words privately with Sylvie. "'My mother didn't get here. Is anything wrong?' 
Is anything anything else? I've been in the middle of it ever since you went away. Your mother's still moaning about all these companies your father's promoting. He never used to do anything like that, and it's all too big, and it's going to end in a big smash. And then she gets on to Merlin. You know, she won't say Merlin. She always calls it that thing. I've noticed that. Then she begins talking about all the horrible things that'll happen when it's found, and that sets Flora off. Flora says Merlin's a big fake, and you and your father are using it to rob thousands of widows and orphans of their life savings. And that sets your mother off again. Self-sustaining cyclic reaction, like the Beta Solar Phoenix. And every time I try to pour a little oil on the troubled waters, I find I've gotten it on the fire instead. And then Flora had this fight with Wade Lucas. And, of course, she blames you for that. Good heavens, why? Well, she couldn't blame it on herself, could she? Oh, you mean, why the fight? Lucas is in business with your father now, and she can't convince him that you and your father are a pair of quadruple-dyed villains, I suppose. Anyhow, the engagement is fft. Con, is my father going back to Koshai? As soon as we can round up some people to help us on the ship. Then I'm going along. I've had it, Con. I'm a combat fatigue case. But, Sylvie, that isn't any place for a girl. Oh, Pooh, this is Sylvie. We're old war buddies. We soldiered together on Barathrum, remember? Well, you'd be the only girl, and... That's what you think. If you expect to get any kind of a gang together, at least a third of them will be girls. A lot of technicians are girls, and when work gets slack, they're always the first ones to get shoved out of jobs. I'll bet there are a thousand girl technicians out of work here. Any line of work you want to name. I know what I'll do. I'll make a telecast appearance. I still have some news value from the bathroom business. Want to bet that I won't be the working girl's Joan of Arc by this time next week? That cheered him. A girl can punch any kind of a button a man can, and a lot of them knew what buttons to punch, and why. Say, she could find fifty girls. He had a slightly better chance to talk to his father before the banquet at the Executive Palace that evening. They shared the same suite at the Ritz-Gartner, and even welcoming committees seldom chase their victims from bedroom to bath. "'Yes, I know all about it,' Rodney Maxwell said bitterly. "'I was home a couple of weeks ago. Flora simply will not speak to me, and your mother begged me, in tears, to quit everything we're doing here. I tried to give her some idea of what would happen if I dropped this, even supposing I could, she wouldn't listen to me. He finished putting the studs in his shirt. You still think this is worth what it's costing us? You saw the views we sent back. There's work on Koshai for a million people, at least. Why, even these two makeshift ships they're putting together here at Storsenda are giving work, one way or another, to almost a thousand. Think what things will be like a year from now, if this keeps on." Rodney Maxwell gave a wry laugh. 
Didn't know I had a real Simon Pure altruist for a son. Partner, when you call me that, smile. I am smiling, with some slight difficulty. He didn't think well of the banquet. Back in Litchfield, Senta would have fired half her human help and taken a sledgehammer to a robo-chef for a meal like that. Even his father's camp cook would have been ashamed of it. And there were more speeches. President Vykoven managed to get hold of him and Eves Jackmont afterward, and steered them into his private study. "'Have you any real reason for thinking that Merlin might be on Koshai?' the planetary president asked. "'Great goo, no! We weren't looking for Merlin, Mr. President. We were looking for a hypership. We have one, too. Calling her Ouroboros II. Twenty-five hundred footer. We expect to have her in space in a few months. I surely don't need to tell you what that will do toward restoring planetary prosperity.' No, of course not, a hypership of our own. But, he looked from one to the other of them, but I understand that this Mr. Kurt Fawzi was saying. Mr. Fawzi is looking for Merlin here on Poitem. If anybody finds it, that's where it'll be found. I'm interested in getting business started again. If Merlin is found, it would help, of course. He shrugged. Don't look at me, Jackmont said. Mr. Maxwell, both of them, father and son, want some spaceships. They hired me to help build them. That's all I have in it. Then he relit the cigar the President had given him and leaned back in his chair, staring at the stuffed alsasoid head with the seven-foot horn spread above the fireplace. Khan described the interview to his father after they were back at the hotel. I hope you convinced him. You know, he's afraid of Merlin. A lot of people have been saying that if Merlin's found, it should be used to determine government policy. A few extremists are beginning to say that Merlin ought to be the government, and Jake Vykhoven and his cronies ought to be dumped. Into the handiest mass-energy converter, preferably. You know, if anybody found Merlin, and started it auditing the planetary treasury, Jake Vykhoven would be the one who'd be wanting a hypership. Tom Brangwen ran him down the next morning, in the dining-room. "'Con, I wish you'd come along with me,' he said. "'Some of us are up in Kurt's suite. We'd all like to talk to you.' Somehow he was acting as though he were making an arrest. That might have been nothing but professional habit. Con went up to Fozzie's suite, and found Fozzie and Judge Ledoux and Dolph Kelton, and close to a dozen others there. "'I'm glad you could come, Con.' the judge greeted him. Now that the defendant had arrived, the trial could begin. "'I wish your father could have gotten here. I asked him to come, but he had a prior engagement. A meeting with some of the financial people here, about some company he's interested in.' "'That's right. Tri-System and Interstellar Space Lines.' "'Interstellar!' Kurt Fawzi almost howled. "'Great goo!' Now it isn't enough to go out to Koshai, he wants to go clear out of the Tri-System. That's what we wanted to talk about, all this nonsense you and your father are in. Merlin's right here on Poitem. It's right at Force Command, 
and if your father hadn't robbed us of all our best men, like Jerry Revis and Anse Dawes, we'd have found it by now. I don't think you and your father care a hoot if we ever find Merlin or not." "'Kurt, that's a dreadful thing to say,' Dolph Kelton objected in a shocked voice. "'It's a dreadful thing to have to say,' Fawzi replied. "'But you tell me what Con Maxwell or Rodney Maxwell are doing to help find it.' "'Who showed you where the Force Command was?' Clem Zareff asked. Nobody could think of any good quick comeback to that. Khan took advantage of the pause to ask, "'Why do you want to find Merlin?' "'Why do we—' Fozzy sputtered in dignity. "'If you don't know—' "'I know why I do. I want to see if you do. Do you?' "'Merlin would answer so many questions,' Dolph Kelton told him gently. "'Questions I can't answer for myself.' With Merlin we could set up a legal code and a system of jurisprudence that would give everybody absolute justice, Judge Ledoux said. As if absolute justice wasn't the last thing anybody in his right senses would want, a robot judge would have the whole planet in jail inside a month. We have a man who joined us after you went off to Koshai, Khan, Franz Veltrin said, a Mr. Carl Liebert. He's some kind of a clergyman from over Morven Way. He says that Merlin could formulate an entirely new religion, which would regenerate humanity." "'Well, I don't have such lofty ideas,' Fawzi said. "'I just want Merlin to show us how to get some prosperity here, bring things back to what they were before Poitem went broke.' "'And that's what Father and I are trying to do. You're going into the woods with a book on how to chop down a tree and no axe." Fawzi looked at him in surprise, started to say something, and thought better of it. "'If we want prosperity, we need tools. Our problem is loss of markets. If we find Merlin, and tape it with everything that's happened in the forty years since it was shut down, Merlin will tell us where to find new markets. But the markets won't come to us. We'll have to do our own exporting, and we'll need ships. Now, you men have been studying about Merlin and hunting for Merlin all your lives." "'I can't add anything to what you know, and neither can my father. You find Merlin, and we'll have the ships ready when you do find it.' "'Kurt, I think he has a point,' somebody said. "'You're blasted well right he has,' Clem Zareff put in. "'If it wasn't for Con Maxwell, you know where we'd be.' back in Litchfield, sitting around in Kurt's office, talking about how wonderful things'll be when we find Merlin, and doing nothing to find it." "'Kurt, I believe Khan is entitled to an apology,' Judge Ledoux ruled. How close we are to finding Merlin, I don't know. But it is due to him that we have any hope of finding it at all." "'Khan, I'm sorry,' Fawzi said. I oughtn't to have said some of the things I did. But we're all on edge. We've been having so much trouble. Con, it's right there at Force Command. I know it is. We've been all over the place. We have shafts sunk at each of the corners. We've used scanners, and we've put off echo shots. Nothing. We looked for additional passages out of the headquarters, but there aren't any. 
but it has to be somewhere around, it just has to be. Maybe if I go out to Force Command with you, I might see something you've overlooked. And if I can't, I'll try to scrape up some stuff on Koshai for you. Deep vein scanners, that sort of thing, from the mines. They took the Lester Dawes out at a little past noon, and turned south and east. Everybody aboard was happy, except Con Maxwell. He was thinking of the years and years ahead of these trusting, hopeful old men, each year the grave of another expectation. Two hundred miles from Force Command, the Goblin met them, her side still spalled and dented from the hit she had taken in Barathrum spaceport. When they came in sight of it, the mesa top was deserted. Fozzie began wondering where in Niflheim all the drilling rigs and the seismo trucks were. Somebody with a pair of binoculars called attention to activity on the side of the high butte on top of which the relay station was located. Fozzie began swearing exasperatedly. Might be something Mr. Lieber thought of, Franz Veltrin suggested. Then why in blazes didn't he screen us about it? Who is this Liebert? Kahn asked. Somebody mentioned him this morning, I think. He joined us after you left, Kahn, Dolph Kelton said. He's a clergyman from Morven. No regular denomination. He has a sect of his own. Yeah, he would, Clemzerif rumbled. Pious fraud. He's really a good man, Kahn. Clem's prejudiced. He says we ought to use Merlin to show us the true nature of God, and how to live in accordance with the divine will. He says Merlin can teach us a new religion. A new religion, based on Merlin. That would be good. And then the fanatics who thought Merlin was the devil would start a holy war to wipe out the servants of Satan, and with all of the combat equipment that was lying around on this planet. For the first time since his business started, he began to feel really frightened. An air-car came bulleting away from the butte and landed on the mesa as the Lester Dawes sat down. The man who met them at the head of the vertical shaft wore Federation fatigues, baggy trousers, ankle-boots, and a long smock, dyed black. He was bare-headed, and his white hair was almost shoulder-long. He had a white beard. "'Welcome, brothers,' he greeted, a hand raised in benediction. And who is this with you?" His voice was high and quavery. Not a good pulpit voice, Kahn thought. Kurt Fawzi introduced Kahn, and Liebert grasped his hand with a grip that was considerably stronger than his voice. "'Bless you, young man. It is to you alone that we owe our thanks, that we are about to find the great computer. Every sapient being in the galaxy will honor your name for a thousand years.' Well, I hadn't counted on quite that much, Mr. Liebert. If it'll only help a few of these people make a decent living, I'll be satisfied." Liebert shook his head sadly. "'You think entirely in material terms, young man,' he reproved. "'Forget these things. Acquire the higher spiritual values. The great computer must not be degraded to such uses. We should let it show us how to lift ourselves to a high spiritual plane." It went on like that, after they went down to Fox Travis's, now Fozzie's, office, where there were silver-stoppered decanters instead of the old green-glass pitcher, and gold-plated ashtrays, 
and thick carpets on the floor. The man was a lunatic. He made Fozzie's office gang look frigidly sane. Furthermore, he was an ignoramus. He had no idea what a computer could or couldn't do. Anybody who could build a computer of the sort he thought Merlin was wouldn't need it. He would be God. As he talked, Khan began to be nagged by an odd sense of recognition. He'd seen this Carl Liebert before, somewhere, and somehow he was sure that the long white hair and the untrimmed beard weren't part of the picture. That puzzled him. He doubted if he'd have remembered Liebert from six years ago, almost seven now, though a lot of itinerant evangelists showed up in Litchfield. That might have been it. I tell you, the great computer is there, in the heart of the Butte, Liebert was insisting now. It has been revealed to me in a dream. It is completely buried. After it was made, no human touched it. The men who were here and used it in the war communicated with it only by radio. That could be so. There were fully robotic computers, intended for use in places where no human could go and live. There was a big one on Niflheim, armored against the fluorine atmosphere and the hydrofluoric acid rains. But there was no point in that here. The things were enormously complicated and military engineering of any sort emphasized simplicity. Ugh! Was he beginning to believe this balderdash himself? Clem Zara fell in with him as they were going to dinner. Revealed in a dream, the old rebel snorted. One thing you can always get away with lying about is what you dream. You think he's lying? I think he's just crazy. That's what he wants you to think. Look, Han, he knows Merlin is here. He's trying to keep us from it. That's why he shifted all that equipment over on the Butte. He's working for Sam Murchison. I thought your theory was that the Federation had lost Merlin. It was, at first. It doesn't look that way to me now. It's right here at Force Command somewhere. They don't want it found and they're going to do everything they can to stop us. I oughtn't to have left this fellow Liebert here alone. Well, I won't do that again. Get Tom Brangwen to help me. Chapter 16 The voyage back to Koshai had been a week-long nightmare. When she had been the pride and budget wrecker of Transcontinent and Overseas Airline, the Harriet Barn had accommodated two hundred first-class and five hundred lower-deck passengers, but the conversion to a spaceship had drastically reduced her capacity. The three hundred men and women who had been recruited for the Koshai colony had been crammed into her with brutal disregard for comfort, privacy, or anything else except the ability of the air recyclers to keep them breathing. When Captain Nichols set her down at the administration building at Port Carpenter, a few had to be carried off, but they were all alive, which made the trip an unqualified success. The dozen leaders of the expedition were congratulating themselves on that in one of the executive offices after the first dinner at Port Carpenter. 
Rodney Maxwell, in Storsenda, had joined them in screen image. He was mostly listening, and sometimes contributing a remark apropos of something the rest of them had said five minutes ago. Our hypership, Khan was saying, is going to have to be item two on the agenda. The first thing we need is a ship for the Poitam Koshai run. By this time next year, we ought to have a thousand to fifteen hundred people here at the least. We can't haul them all on that flying sardine can. We'll need supplies, too. What was left here won't last forever, Nichols said. And you're going to have to run this at a profit, Luther Chen Wong, who had come along for first-hand experience and to help with administrative work, added. You have a big payroll to meet, and you'll have to keep the stockholders happy. People like Jethro Sastraman and some of these Storsunda bankers aren't going to be satisfied with promises and long-term prospects. They'll want dividends. We'll have to get claims staked on something besides Port Carpenter, too. Those ships that are building at Storsenda will be finished before long, Jerry Rivas said. If we don't get some more things claimed, the first thing you know, we'll own Port Carpenter and nothing else. Well, let's see what we can find in the way of a big airboat or a small ship, Con said. Jerry, you can pick a party for exploring. Just zigzag around the planet and transmit in locations and views of whatever you find, and we'll send it on to Storsenda. And don't pick anybody for your exploring party that can't be spared from anything here, Jackmont added. We don't want to have to chase you halfway around the world to bring back the only specialist in something yesterday at the latest. Are you going to come along, Con? Rivas asked. Oh, Lord, no. I'm going to be doing fifteen things at once here. All the computer work. Finding materials to make astrogational equipment and robopilots. Studying hyperspace theory. Fortunately, there was an excellent library here and setting up classes and teaching school, and keeping in touch with his father on Poitem. It was making him nervous not to know what sort of foolishness the older and wiser heads might be getting into. The next morning they began organizing work gangs and setting up committees. Three men, two girls, and about twenty robots got an open-pit iron mine started. As soon as the steel mill was ready, or started coming in. Ants Dawes had a gang looking for something they could build a 350-foot interplanetary ship out of. Jackmont and Mac Vibart were getting plans and specifications, and making lists of needed materials. Khan gathered a dozen men and women and started classes in computer theory and practice. At the same time, he and Charlie Gatworth were teaching themselves and each other hyperspatial astrogation, which was the art of tossing a ship into some everythingless non-space outside normal space-time, and then pulling her out again by her bootstraps at some other place in the normal continuum light-years away. Roughly, it compared to shooting hummingbirds on the wing, blindfolded, with a not particularly accurate pistol, from a mile-a-minute merry-go-round. That was something you could only do with a computer. A human with a slide rule, a pencil and pad, could figure it out, of course, 
if he had fifty-odd thousand years to do it. A good computer did it in thirty seconds. That was one difference between people and computers. The other difference was that the desirability of making a hyperspace jump would never occur to a computer unless somebody pushed a button and taped in instructions. They found a three-hundred-foot globular skeleton, probably the nucleus of a big hyperspace ship, and decided that it was big enough for what they wanted. The entire colony got to work on it. Photo-printed plans and specifications poured out as Jackmont and a couple of draftsmen got them up. Steel came out of the steel mill at one end, while ore came in at the other. A swarm of big contragravity machines, some robotic and some human-operated, clustered around the skeleton hull like hornets building a nest. Tri-system and interstellar space lines was chartered. The lawyers reported having to overcome a little more resistance than usual from the government about that. And the bill to nationalize Merlin, which had died in committee, was resuscitated and was being debated hotly on the floor of the Parliament. The administration was now supporting it. Are they completely crazy? Khan wanted to know when he heard about that. They passed that bill and nobody's going to look for Merlin if they know the government will snatch it as soon as they find it. That is precisely Jake Vykoven's idea, his father replied. I told you he was afraid of Merlin. He's getting more afraid of it every day. He had reason to. There was a growing sentiment in favor of turning the entire government over to the computer as soon as it was found. To his horror, Khan heard himself named as chairman of a committee that should be set up to operate it. The moderates, who had merely wanted Merlin used in an advisory capacity, were dropping out. The agitation was coming from extremists, who wanted Merlin to be the whole government, and now the extremists were developing an extreme wing of their own, who called themselves cybernarchists, and started wearing colored shirt uniforms, and greeting each other with an archaic stiff-arm salute, and the words, Hail Merlin! and the followers of the gospel shouter on the west coast were now cropping up all over the mainland, and on the continent of Acare to the north. And another cult, non-religious, was convinced that Merlin was a living machine, with conscious intelligence of its own, and awesome psi-powers, a sort of super-golem, which, if found and awakened, would enslave the whole galaxy. Fortunately, these two hated each other as venomously as both did the cybernarchists, and spent most of their energies attacking each other's meetings. The news services were beginning to publish casualty lists, some heavy enough for outpost fighting between a couple of regular armies. One thing, it helped the employment situation, everybody was hiring mercenaries. But what, Khan asked, are the sane people doing? You ought to know, his father told him, I suspect that you have all of them on Koshai now. The sane people, if that was what they were, were being busy. They were putting a set of Abbott lift-and-drive engines together, and Khan's computer class was estimating the mass of the finished ship, 
and the amount of energy needed to overcome gravitation and give it constant acceleration from Koshai to Poitem. They were learning, by trial and error, largely error, how to build a set of pseudograv engines. And they were putting together a hundred and one other things, all of which was good training for the time they'd be ready to start work on Ouroboros II. Jerry Rivas had found a contragravity craft, which seemed to have been used by some top official for business and inspection trips, had gathered a crew of non-specialists who weren't urgently needed at Port Carpenter, and set out to circumnavigate the planet. It worked just the reverse of expectation. He found a big uranium mine, with an isotope separation plant and a battery of plutonium breeders. That meant that Mohammed Matsui and a half-dozen other nuclear power people had to get into another boat and speed after them to see what he had really found. As soon as they landed, Rivas took off again to discover a copper mine and a complex of smelters and processing plants. That took a few more experts, or reasonable facsimiles, away from Port Carpenter. He then found a whole city that manufactured nothing but computers and robo-controls and things like that. Khan loaded his whole computer theory class onto a freight scow and took them there. By the time he landed, his father was screening him from Storsenda. "'When are you going to get the ship finished?' he was asking. "'Kurt Fawzi's pestering the daylights out of me. He wants that equipment you promised him.' We're working on it. What's happened? Has Carl Liebert had another revelation? I don't know about that. Kurt's sure Merlin is directly under force command. And speaking about Liebert, Clem Zareff's been after me about him. You know I've contracted for the full-time and exclusive services of this Barton Massara detective agency. Well, Clem wants me to put them to work investigating Liebert. Yes, I know, Liebert's a Terran Federation spy. Why do you need the full-time services of the biggest private detective agency on Poitem? There have been some odd things happening. People have been trying to bribe and intimidate some of my office help. I have found microphones and screen pickups planted around. I caught one of our clerks trying to make copies of voice tapes. I think it's some of these other Merlin-chasing companies, trying to find out how close we are to it. Clem Zareff is recruiting more guards. But how soon are you going to get that ship built? We're working on it. That's all I know now. He went back to work getting a classroom ready for his students. If he'd accepted that instructorship at Montevideo, he wouldn't be a full professor now, but none of the rest of this would be happening either. That night he had the dream about starting the big machine and not being able to stop it again. There was street fighting in Storsenda between the cybernarchists and government troops. There was a pitched battle in the West between the Armageddonists, Merlin is Satan, and the Human Supremacy League, Merlin is the Gollum, with heavy losses and claims of victory on both sides. President Weichhoven proclaimed planet-wide martial law and then discovered he had nothing to enforce it with. Luther Chen Wong screened him from Port Carpenter. His voice was almost inaudibly low at first. "'Con, I just got a call from Jerry and Clyde. 
I think we can knock off work on that ship we're building now. We won't need it. Have they found a ship? If they had, it would be the first one anybody had found. Where? They haven't found a ship, Khan. They found all of them. All the ships in the Alpha system, except the Harriet Barn and the two we're building at Storacenda. The place is marked on the map as Sickle Mountain Naval Observatory. It's just a bitty little dot, but the map was made before the evacuation started. It's where most of the troops in the system were embarked on hyperships, I think. Wait till I show you the views. Khan put on another screen. The first view is from an altitude of five miles. He didn't need Luther's voice to identify Sickle Mountains. A long curve, with a spur at right angles to one end. The name must have suggested itself to whoever saw it first. The observatory had been built where the handle of the sickle joined the blade. As the ship from which the view had been taken had approached, the details grew plainer. At the same time, it became evident that the plane inside the curve of the sickle was powdered with tiny sparkles, like tinsel dust on a red-brown velvet. Great goo! Are those all ships? That's right. Look at this one now. The view changed. The aircraft was down now, below the crest of the mountain, circling slowly above the plane. Hundreds. No, over a thousand of them. Two and three and five hundred footers. And here and there a thousand footer, that could have been converted into a hypership if anybody had wanted to take the trouble. The view changed again, this time from an air car dropped from the ship, he supposed. It was down almost to the tops of the ships, and he could read names and home ports. Pixie, Chloris, Helen O'Loy, Anitis, they were from Jurgen. Skyrover, Port Saunders, she was from Horvendil. Ships from Storsenda and Yellowmarsh on Janico, and... Now we know where they all went. It was logical, of course. Most of the hyperships used in the evacuation had been built here. It had been less trouble to lead the troops and the civilian workers from Poitem and the other planets onto small normal spaceships and bring them here than to take the big ships away on short interplanetary runs to the other planets. Have you screened my father yet? Yes. This is going to knock the bottom out of the companies that are building those ships at Storacenda, I'm afraid. They're tough luck. It could be everybody's tough luck. Both these companies have been issuing stock, and there's been a lot of speculation in it. This market's so inflated now that a puncture at one place might blow the whole thing out. He knew that. He shrugged. Father will have to think of something. Tell him I'll screen him from Sickle Mountain. Then he went back to his classroom. All right. Class dismissed, he said. You have twenty minutes to get your bags packed. We're going to work for real now. Airboats and airships flocked to Sickle Mountain. Some of them hastened back to Port Carpenter for loads of food, for there was none in the storehouses at the embarkation camp. They inspected ship after ship, and chose two three-hundred-footers. 
They sent airships and freight scows to the dozen-odd cities and industrial centers that had been already explored, to gather cargo, as far as possible, the items in shortest supply on Poitem. "'Don't worry about a market smash,' his father told him. "'We have that taken care of. Tri-System Investments has just bought up a lot of stock in both of those companies, and we've set up agreements with them, informally, of course, we'll have to get them voted on by our own companies, to sell them ships from Koshai. In return, the company that's building the ship out of four air freighters will go to Janico. And the company that's building a ship out of the old Leitzenring building will go to Jurgen, and they'll both stay off Koshai. Sturber Flynn and Chen Wang will probably be defending antitrust suits to the end of time. The planetary government has stopped liking us, you know. Then we'll have to get one that will like us. There'll be an election about this time next year, won't there?" His father nodded. To use one of your expressions, we're working on it. How soon can you get your ships in? We'll be loaded and ready to lift off in a week. Another week for the trip. Well, don't forget that equipment you promised Kurt Fawzi. We'll have that on. Jerry Rivas is gathering it up now. How are you fixed for arms on Koshai? Arms? Why, there are some. There was a pretty big force of space marines on duty here, and they left everything they couldn't carry in their hands. Why? The Armageddonists and Cybernarchists and Human Supremacy bought all you had on hand? They're buying, but I wasn't thinking of that. I was thinking that your crews might need something to argue their way off the ships at Storsenda with. Things are getting just slightly rugged here now. End of chapters 15 and 16